Good morning, Cornerstone. How is everyone today? I think after that time of worship, I'm just going to release you. Go have a wonderful day. Look for the goodness of God in the land of the living. My name, just kidding, I'm obligated to provide a sermon for you today, and so I'm going to oblige you all. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been in a series of Make Peace for the last couple weeks. Brian has been talking to us about the process of uh, reconciliation, about some tools for that, and I want to continue on that, but I have a question for you today. How do you make peace when the reconciliation process gets stuck, stalls, or stops? It's amazing, isn't it, when you see individuals that are in a conflict, or whether it's in your own life, in a relationship, or you watch it, individuals that are in a conflict, and it's amazing to watch as the reconciliation process brings people back together to the glory of God and the good of others. But as I stand before you today, that is not always the case, is it? There are times when reconciliation seems to stall out. It seems to stop. It seems to get stuck. And what do we do in those moments? Do we just leave it? Or is there something that we can do to continue to move forward? That's what I want to talk to you about today. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Lord, I pray that you will lift our eyes to you, that you will open our hearts. I pray, Lord, that your word will not return void and the things that are of me will be forgotten, but the things of you will stick. Show us how we are to move, Lord, when things get tough, when we're in conflict with people. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Paul writes to the church of Rome, and in chapter 12, it's amazing. In Romans chapter 12, there's just all kinds of amazing stuff. But as you go down through into 17 through the end, he begins to talk to them on how they are to deal with conflict. In Romans chapter 12, we catch a glimpse of what we're to do when the process of reconciliation just stalls out. And it just stops, and we're stuck. And in Romans chapter 12, 18, it says, if possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. This idea of as far as it depends on you is you can only do what you can do. So one of the things Paul is offering to us is in the situation, when things are getting stuck, there's a shift that begins that has to happen in us. Up to this point, we may have been working with the other person in the midst of conflict. Up to this point, we may have been moving and having conversations with them. But when it stops and it stalls out and it gets stuck, Paul is saying, now you have to turn your attention from outwardly focused to fixing the relationship to moving inwardly focused to doing what you have to do to be at peace. No longer is it about the two of you together. It now is about you as an individual. How and what do you need to do to be at peace so that the toxicity of this situation doesn't go into all areas of your life? And Paul is saying that you need to shift your attention from fixing the relationship to focusing on how and what you need to do to live at peace. 
is a dramatic shift. There's lessons that I want to look at for the next little bit. And the time that I want to spend together, I want us to look at an individual who is no stranger to conflict in the Bible. King David is a man after God's own heart. But King David is constantly in conflict. He's in conflict with Saul. He's in conflict with his sons. He's in conflict with his wife. He's in conflict with his generals. Now, maybe he's the common denominator, or he just got so much ink throughout the Bible that we get to see those relationships. But I want us to walk down through. Sorry, I have ate a granola bar before this. Turn around. Close your eyes for a second. <laughs> I do this every time. I have like a protein bar, and then it just gets lodged, and then it's embarrassing for all of us. But I'm back now. So one of the things I want to do is, how do we begin to make that shift? Whenever the situation has stalled out, how do we begin to move from trying to fix the relationship to focus on what we need to do? We're going to look at the life of David. Because David has a lot of conflict, and he gives us some examples of what happens when the, when the relationship stalls out. And one relationship, it is the one that we see right off the bat, is David bumps into conflict with Saul, King Saul, right off the bat. Now, we know King Saul is the first king of Israel. We know that King Saul has done some things that have really angered the Lord, and the Lord is replacing him with David, but David is in close relationship with Saul. Not only is he in the army, not only is he the one that, that kills Goliath and he's appointed into the army, but he's also the one that comes into Saul's actual his bedroom, sits on the edge of the bed, and plays music for him at night to calm his soul. So there's an intimate relationship, but that relationship is about to sour, and it's about to get to the point where David has to move from being able to fix the relationship to being able to step away and how he's going to live at peace. And so the first principle that I see for us to live peaceably, as far as it depends on us, when conflict begins to, the resolution stalls out, is the first thing we have to do is we retreat. We retreat. Now, when we hear this, oftentimes it sounds like failure, doesn't it? Like the other person has conquered us. But what I mean by this is we have to withdraw from engagement. I had to learn this lesson early in my marriage because I am an individual that when there is conflict in a relationship, I become obsessive. Anybody else get that way? And what I found is what my wife did not enjoy was me following her through the house when she's saying, I need a minute to think, and me following her around saying, no, we're going to deal with this. That does not make peace. That is an act of relational warfare. We become obsessive. And it's like when you take a magnet and you turn them backwards and it repulses the magnet. I repulsed my wife in times of conflict, and I made it worse and worse and worse. Then she would react and make it worse, and then I would react and make it worse. So the first thing we do when, the, when, when we're in these times of conflict is we retreat. David is in the chamber of Saul. He's playing music for him. Saul's already agitated. One of the reasons, some of the reasons that Saul was agitated with David, had no, with David had nothing to do with David. It was other things, but David triggered it in him. And so one night, when David was playing music for Saul, Saul began to get agitated and angry. And, and multiple times in Scripture, Saul, like, walked around with a spear, 
When you see someone that you're in a relationship that walks around with a spear, that should put a little bit of red flag. But Saul has a spear in his hand. And David's playing music. And as he's playing, Saul throws the spear at David. And he eludes it. And then the passage says he eluded it twice. Someone throws a spear at me, I'm not sitting down and playing my guitar for longer. I'm a one-spear guy. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I'm throwing spear back at you. So, but in this, David is in this situation, and he eludes him, and then the passage says that he flees. But one of the things that happened in there is let's put ourselves in Saul's position and David's position. Because sometimes when we're in the midst of conflict, we want to pretend we're like David. This person's just throwing spears at me. But really, many times when the conflict is stalled out, why is it? Because we're throwing spears at them as well. And so this retreat happens because David putting himself in that situation was dangerous, wasn't it? He needed to get out of that situation. It was dangerous for David, but he was also antagonizing. David's sheer presence was antagonizing Saul. And he kept throwing spears at David. And so the relationship is actually fractured. And when we come to this place, when we see in conflict, you know what? This is going nowhere. This person is unable to change. They are unwilling to change. My efforts are doing nothing but making things worse. The first thing we need to do is we need to retreat because it protects us from getting hit by spears and it also protects them from being triggered at throwing more spears. It's actually an act of love for the other person to withdraw when you are triggering them in an unhealthy place. Does that make sense? It's an act of love. And we withdraw from engagement. The next thing we do, we retreat. The next thing we do, we see that David is moving along and he's really, he's, he's curious in going, this situation has escalated to where I'm having spears thrown at me and I thought I just did things that were good. I killed Goliath for you. I'm playing you sweet music at night. I'm going and killing the, the enemies for you. But yet, you are so frustrated. And so David has a best friend and it just makes things even more complicated because David's best friend is a man named Jonathan who is King Saul's son. So you've got some sweet triangulation going on in this family dynamic. And David is wondering, what on earth is going on? And I love what happens next, because David goes to Jonathan, and he asks this question in 1 Samuel 21. David fled, and he came and he said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Even though David is in this spot of thinking his innocence. He goes to a trusted friend and he repents and he says, what have I done? Is there something that I am doing in this relationship that is causing the conflict to increase? Because there is not reconciliation here. What have I done? What is my guilt? We see in this situation that David didn't have any guilt. But when... Conflict resolution and the restoration of a relationship begins to stall out and stop. It's the perfect time after we retreat to go back in for an inventory before the Lord. And we go before the Lord and we say, Lord, what's my guilt in this? What have I done? 
because it seems like, though I've apologized, and it seems like it's just not moving forward. Recently, I was on a long car ride with my dad, and we were talking through some different things. And like the wise man he is and who knows me, he gave a compliment critique sandwich. We have things around here at Cornerstone called the all-meat critique, which means when you just tell them the facts, there's no, like, you are nice, you're a rainbow, you did this bad, you're a rainbow. My dad, he's talking to me, and then he begins to say in his wisdom, well, have you gone before the Lord and asked him if there's anything he wants to show you in this? And I know what that means. I wanted to just turn up the radio and say, like, keep your opinions to yourself. Let's not bring God into this. But it was a moment, as things had stalled out, it was a moment for me to say, I need to go before the Lord and begin to say, Lord, what's my guilt? What have I done wrong? Because I thought I had gone through an inventory and you stack things up and you get to the place where, I don't know about you, but when you're in conflict with someone, you're measuring to say, well, it looks pretty much like you're more wrong than I am, so I'll apologize for this. But then the Lord begins to show you, oh, there's this place that it took time and frustration and it took friction and it took the stalling out of the relationship to actually look to say, there's another place the Lord wants to get to in us. After we have retreated, after the spears are stopped, after we stop eluding spears and throwing spears, we get to the place where we revisit to say, Lord, what is my guilt? What have I done? And then the first place David does this in, in Psalm 51, David repents and says, Lord, I'm sorry, before you alone have I sinned. And the thing is, before we go to that other person to just make a mess more, we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. There are more places in this that I was wrong than I realized. And it took retreating and not having to dodge arrows and spears to realize I've got some more stuff I need to deal with. When we do these two things, it takes the the eyes off of the, what we can't control in the relationship. And as we do these things, it begins to see that there are some things that I can control. There are some things that I can do to cultivate peace. And the first one is to retreat. The second one is to repent. And the third one is to reflect as we move on in the story. The relationship with Saul is getting worse and worse. And it's finally to the place where David can no longer be in the city. He no longer can be around Saul, and he has to leave completely. And David goes to Jonathan, and Jonathan is saying, like, hey, it's worse than you thought. you got to get out of here. The relationship is in shambles. It's more than stalled out. All reconciliation is stopped. you got to get out of here. And in that moment, David does something. He reflects on the loss and it says in this passage, it says in 1 Samuel 20, 41, as soon as the boy had gone, they had a boy that was, was to, to pick up the arrows for them. Davis rose from beside the rock heap and he fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. This is before Jonathan. And Jonathan and he kissed each other and they wept with one another. But David weeping the most. After the retreat, after the repenting, there is a time to reflect on the loss. And what I want to say is in this, David was reflecting on the loss within the loss. Because the conflict with Saul cost him his relationship with Saul. But as he reflected on it, what else did it cost him? 
his relationship with his best friend. And so that fracture of relationship had this ripples effect that went through David's life. And as he is reflecting, he begins to weep to say, not only am I un- is this unfair, not only is this the fact that, that I am out of relationship with my king, with Saul, and the person that has mentored me and the person that has brought me along, but now the cost of this fracture and this friction and this relationship is costing me my best friend. And it says that David weeps bitterly. And so we grieve once again. We begin to reflect on the relationship that we are in conflict with. When the restoration process is stuck, when it stalls, when it stops, we begin to just go to what is the grief within the grief? What is the loss within the loss? And then Sometimes we, like David, fall on the ground. David's so expressive. I love him. He's so dramatic. He just falls on the ground like, oh, this is horrible. Just throws a man tantrum right there. And he weeps and says, there's a loss here. Other places we see throughout the scriptures that David, he laments before the Lord. And he cries out, why is this happening? And going before God and being able to say this is unfair and it's costing me layers upon layers upon layers of things. And I didn't even realize why I was so emotional about this until I got in touch with the fact that there's a loss within the loss. Does that make sense? Have you ever been in that situation and you're in conflict with an individual here and it's sad and it causes there to be turmoil? a loss of tranquility. But as you begin to go before the Lord and you begin to ask the question, what is the loss within the loss? It gets a lot bigger. And you see that the friction in that relationship costs other relationships. And you see that it actually represents more. And in these moments, the beautiful gift of stalled out reconciliation process is the goodness of God breaks in and says, I want to do a deeper work in you so that you are more at peace because there's a loss within a loss you need to recognize. And you can only begin to recognize that after you've retreated from the spears, after you've repented for the things, that there is an openness to go, Lord, I come before you and there is a loss here, that this relationship is lost, but this also represents this, and this is also lost. So as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When it stalls out, it's time for us to retreat. It's time for us to repent. It's time for us to reflect. And then we go to a next, and you got it. It starts with an R, because that's the only way my mind works. We recategorize the relationship. We have to recategorize the relationship. And this is going to be a little difficult for me to explain, but the best way I can say it is when David was in this situation and there was no way forward with Saul, he left and created his own camp, but yet Saul was still his king. Saul was his king, but he wasn't in his camp. That there needed to be ability to change the relationship. Saul's role was still king over Israel, which meant that Saul was still king over David, but the relationship was different because they were not close and they would not be in the same camp. 
So sometimes when we are in this situation, we need to begin to move people in our lives to say, you will still be my parent. Let's say you're in conflict. I'm actually not in conflict with my parents right now, so we'll use that as a good example. Let's say my dad and I are in tension, and there's, the relationship has stalled out. For me to be able to say, he is still my father, but he is not in my camp right now. And what I mean by that is I need to move him in my life, in my circle, in my mind, in my emotional being, and in relationship outside the camp that I can control and put that in a safe place so that there is no more spears and that there is no more harm. Still the same role, different relationship. My friend, Chris Austin, he has this idea and he talks about the four chambers of the heart. And he says that, you know, the... the, the The first chamber is the outside, then the second, then the third, then the fourth. But the fourth chamber is the most intimate relationships of our lives. That sometimes when there is tension in a relationship that is not moving forward, we need to move them from one chamber to an outer chamber because it needs to be more protected because the relationship becomes less and less safe. And the more that you keep them in that place of intimacy, like the bedroom where Saul and David was, were, and there were spears being thrown, the more harm there is. And so now, it's no more in that place of intimacy. It needs to be moved outside the camp. David showed honor. David showed respect. David showed loyalty still to Saul, but he was, did not show intimacy. And the idea of bringing him close. When we move a relationship outside of the camp, what it is is it's putting it in a place where it is safe to say, you're not going to harm me and I'm not going to harm you. And it needs to move outside of that. But the relationship still is with honor It's still with respect, and it can still be with love. After we move, so we retreat, we repent, we reflect, we recategorize, and the last thing is we relinquish. It's sad, but in 1 Samuel 26, 25, the chapter ends. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. They had to go their separate ways. There was a relinquishing to say, the intimacy that was once there, the way the relationship used to be will never be again. And it's time for us to go our separate ways. And with this is for our own, as we are dealing with this, as we have gone through all of these steps, the last section of relinquishment means we begin to relinquish them back into the hands of God to say, God, I relinquish this person. I relinquish this relationship and I mourn it and I grieve what it was. I relinquish the time in which it might happen of reconciliation and I relinquish control and I place it in your hands, God, because I can't do anything about it. The retreating has done nothing, the repenting has done nothing, the reflecting has done nothing for that other person and the recategorizing, all of those have done so that I can live at peace. Now the final thing is we place them back into the hands of the Lord and say, Lord, I place them in your hands and I'm gonna do what I can do, now you do what only you can do. I'm going my way, they're going their way and you have to do it, Lord. I want to read this section of Romans 12, 19 through 20, and 
I'm going to look at this from a little different perspective. So when you hear it going, wow, that sounds harsh, but then you understand what I mean in a moment. After Paul has said that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, he then says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then on the contrary, it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what I'm saying in this is not now look at that person of like, go get him, God. That's right. Smite him where they stand. Because this isn't necessarily talking about that. What it's saying is place justice in the hands of God. To say, God, as I'm relinquishing this relationship, I now place them in your hands. And just as you are convicting me of the things that I need to do, may you also convict them that someday something may happen and that as you do what only you can do, you will bring us back together. But the relinquishing says, God, you're going to have to convict them. Because every time I go towards them, they seem to think it's a spear being thrown at them. And every time they come towards me, they're triggered and they're getting more and more frustrated. This is stalled out. And so now, Lord, I place it into your hands that may you bring not only may you bring conviction so that potentially maybe the process of reconciliation can move once again. I relinquish them to you. David went his way. Saul went his way. The relationship was recategories that David still honored and respected and loved Saul, but Saul was his king, but he wasn't in his camp anymore to say, I have to have walls around me because no longer is this safe. Then we see that we reflect on the loss within the loss. That as David looked to his relationship with Saul, he is brokenhearted because not only is that a relationship that fractured, it fractured many other relationships. David goes before his friend and God to repent and say, Lord, bring conviction to show me where I'm wrong. And David retreats so that spears are no longer being thrown. What I want to do is we're going to move into a time of prayer. The band can start coming up. We're going to go into communion. One of the things that I want to, uh, I want to um, take off of your plates for a moment, and this is just something that, that I'm thinking, is there's a passage in Scripture that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. It also in communion says if you know if you have a fracture in a relationship with a person before you go to communion, go to them. Sometimes we go to that too early and it becomes repulsive to the other individual. It actually pushes them further away. And so in this moment, what I want you to do is I just want you to stay in this place and say, Lord, is there a relationship? that I am in where there is tension and conflict. That I am to adhere to these principles, not to rush in. It's just in the quiet of this moment.
And now as maybe the Lord has brought to mind, will you ask the Lord to help you to shift your attention from trying to fix the relationship to focusing on how you live at peace? Would you ask the Lord to do that? Lord, will you help me shift my attention from how to fix the relationship to how I am to live at peace? And now quickly, I'm going to go down through these. In that relationship, would you ask the Lord, Lord, what does it look like for me to retreat in such a way that is not punitive or punishment to that person, but it is protection? What does it look like to retreat for protection, not punishment? And now would you go before the Lord and just say, Lord, what is my guilt in this? Is there something else you want to show me? And now, would you go before the Lord and ask him, Jesus, will you show me the loss within the loss? You might need to stay with this one for a while so you can revisit this maybe after the service or if you want to come up and have one of the prayer team pray with you. But what is the loss within the loss? And now would you go before the Lord who is present in this place? And when you say, Lord, will you help me to recategorize this relationship? Because where they're at right now is not safe. Help me to respect and love them. But maybe they need to move from the inner chamber to outside the camp. Maybe they are to still hold the same role, but the relationship is very different. We ask the Lord to show you what that means and what that looks like to have healthy boundaries. And now finally, Would you go before the Lord and just say, Lord Jesus, I relinquish this person and this relationship into your hands. 
Through your guidance, Lord, I will do all that I can do. But now it's to the place where I need you to do what only you can do. And I relinquish that to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for my friends that as they're walking through this, that this will be something that they can revisit, that this will be a tool for us, Lord. That we make peace when relationships are stuck. I bless you that the Lord may continue to do this in his precious name.